You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Let's get started. Romans chapter 8. It is a hot one, and so we're looking at a wonderful hot passage from God's Word today. Um, this is the first time I've been in ministry now, pastoral ministry. I believe it's now 30 years. First time on a Sunday morning I've ever preached in shorts. And it was a, a battle and a struggle to do it, to fight the old uh, voices in my head. But it's like you've got to do it to stay cool somehow. So if you're offended, I'm sorry. And uh, not really. Uh, because this is just, a, yeah, you do what needs to be done. Back on the prairies, I remember us like grabbing hold and it's just like, you know, who's going to show up to church when it's minus 40? Here in the Okanagan, who's going to show up to church when it's plus 40 and you're outside in a parking lot? Well, you folks, clearly. And we want to welcome each one of you in your cars here on the patio, as well as you who are watching online. Romans chapter 8 starts with what? No. Ends in no. Separation right on starts in no condemnation, ends in no separation. We're getting to that no separation part in a few moments. Not, not today, but Lord willing, next week. But the four verses leading up to what we're going to look at next week are just some of the most majestic yet when it comes to Romans chapter 8. And, and we've been working through this chapter verse by verse. And, and in some ways, it just keeps building and it just keeps getting better. And, and, and it, it, you might be able to compare it to uh, how when you might be eating the most amazing meal prepared by the most amazing chef, and you start with the appetizer, and it's like, oh, it's so good. And then you get to the salad, and it's like, well, for salad, that's amazing. You know, and then you get to the entree, and it's like, oh, it's just everything you would hope for. And, and then you get to the dessert, and it's just like, oh, can it get any better than this? Well, this is what Romans 8 is like. It just keeps getting better. And, 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 and next week, we'll see the, the wow, the dessert factor on this. But right now, we're still chewing some good entree here, and it's really good. The vegetables, the, 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 the meat or the meat substitute or whatever it is that makes you go mm, like this. Well, this is Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. Jonathan read it a few moments ago for us. And, and so what does it say? Starting in verse 31, Paul writes this. What then shall we say to these things? And, and, and it's like, this is all so good. Everything he had been writing, he had been led by the Holy Spirit to, to, to write this. But what's he referring to when he says, what shall we say to all these things? What are these things? Well, does that mean this, this section here, since verse 18, that deals with, proclaims God's hope and his help in the midst of suffering? Or is he going back to the start of chapter 8 that declares that there is no condemnation? Or is he referring to chapter 5 to the end of chapter 8, which is a whole section on salvation? And, and, um, or is he referring to the whole book of Romans so far? And the answer is yes, probably to all of those. And we don't know exactly what he's referring to. And so let's just take the whole thing, what he's been. It's like, what shall we say to this? It's so amazing. And you see, Romans 5 to 8 especially proclaims that if you have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, today, if you have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to him in repentance and faith, if that is you here today, in the patio, in the car, watching online, God wants you, he wants his child to have rock-solid confidence of your salvation, that you are saved, that you are in Christ. And in verse 31, now Paul is saying, what shall we say to all these things? In light of all of this, 
he goes on to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, at times it may seem that there is a lot against us in life. There can be a lot of opposition. There can be a lot of trouble. There can be a lot of trials. And we think the whole world, my family, the workplace, everyone seems to be against me. But here, Paul is stating under the control of the Holy Spirit, if God is for us, who can be against us? Folks, this is a declaration today that we need to get through our heads and we need to, to, to have it pounded in so powerfully. Not just from, from a, a message from God's word, but from the word of God itself. And this is it. God is forever on my side. God is forever on your side. If you are in Christ, he is forever on your side. If Jesus Christ is your king, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, God is forever on your side. God is rooting for you. He is cheering for you. He is helping. He is assisting. He is interceding for you. And we'll see that in a few moments. And here is how we can know this. And you can look at it in your service folder there. You can see it on, 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 online at the bottom of your screen. Write this down. You see number one here. God is for me. Can you say that today? God is for me. Say it. One, two, three. God is for me. God is for me. And what a truth. He wants us to know that in the midst of the fallenness of this world, the hardships and the trials and the suffering and the failures and the mess-ups and the screw-ups and the addictions and the troubles that we face, God is for me. God is for us. He doesn't want us to be blown over and knocked down and shipwrecked by the hardships or by controversies or from bad doctrine that will teach you other, th uh, other kind of mistruths or, or even at times by our own thoughts. And the accusations, whether it's in our heads or from Satan, from others, they will come, these accusations. But if you are trusting Christ for salvation, you need to overpower those lies with this incredible truth that God is for you, that God is for us, that he loves you. He loves you and nothing, nothing in the universe can or will ever change that. You see, God is not only with us, and we love that, 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 that God is present everywhere, but he is with his children, his Holy Spirit is within us. But to know this truth is, is even to take it further, that God is for us. He is for us. And we see this all throughout his word. God is for his people, providing, guiding what they need at the right time. Whether it's Elijah, Nehemiah, David, Gideon, Esther, Ruth, all through the Old Testament, we see God is not only with his children, he is for his children. Or listen to what God's word says in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He cares for those who take refuge in him. Or Psalm 46, 1. Many of you would know this. You would have it memorized. God is our refuge and strength. A very sometimes present help in trouble. No, did I throw that word sometimes in there? Yeah, because it's not in there. It's a very present help in trouble. He is with us. But he is also for us, a help in times of trouble. And then write down Psalm 118, verse 6. Psalm 118, verse 6. It says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is, my, is on my side as my helper, as it goes into verse 7. God is for us, and not, not, in no greater way has this been demonstrated to us than the cross of Jesus Christ, because it was there that true love was shown. But here's the thing, we can so easily have incidences and hindrances in our lives, stains from our past, 
or battles in the present that can stop us from believing this truth. And so easily we can start to then doubt the love of God. God being for us, we, we think maybe it can be revoked at some time. If I do something really bad, he's no longer going to be for me. If I can get a Kleenex, I've got a lot of sweat going here, and I just rub my eyes, and I have peppermint oil on my fingers, and so there's, uh, I'm crying in advance of this sermon because it's so awesome. And so, uh, and, and so uh, it, it's not super bad, but we'll just, wonderful, thank you. Good idea. All right. All right, so, so, so we see through the cross of Jesus Christ, his great love for us. And that no matter what happens, his love is unconditional for us. You see, we oftentimes bring to our understanding of love a very finite and a very conditional understanding to the equation when it comes to love. You see, we oftentimes think that if I mess up, if I mess up really bad or even just a little bit, God's going to whack me a good one and I'm going to be in his bad books. I'm going to be in the God timeout chair for a while. Or sometimes we may be, be prone to be, if we're prone to be dominated by our feelings or emotions, that our understanding of God's love kind of goes up and down with our feelings and our emotions. Oh, I don't know if he loves me today. I don't really feel, I'm not really feeling it today. And we can be so governed by our emotions and we need to be governed Yes, emotions are good, but they can lie to us. And we need to have our emotions. We need to have them rock solid in God's truth. Or those accusing voices in your head. You ever get those? You're a loser. You messed up. You've got a past. (laughs) God can redeem others and use others, but you, after what you've done, what you did back there in the 1980s or in the 1990s or the 1940s or... The 2000s and early 2000 or 2015, what you did back there, oh, you're not getting off the hook that easy. But church today, listen, you need to hear this. Let's stop believing the lies and put our trust and our confidence in God and his word in these truths today. Let's stake our confidence and our present and what, and, and what is redeemed in the past and our future in God's total love for us. Let's stake our future on that. This whole section, Romans 5 to 8, begins in Romans 5, verse 1. This is, this is a verse that we should all commit to memory. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God throughout our Lord Jesus Christ. The chasm has been bridged. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I encourage you, go home this week. Not, don't go home yet, but go home this week and read Romans chapter 5 to verse 8. You'll get blown away. You'll get blown away by God's commitment to us as his children. That God is for me. That God is for you no matter what. And as we walk in this truth, just watch the peace and the joy and the victory come. Oh, there's going to be battles. Oh, there's going to be the hills. There's going to be the valleys. There's going to be the difficulties. But God is for us. Oh, that our first thoughts, when you get up out of bed in the morning, do this. When you get up out of bed, and maybe you need to put stickies all over the house. Put them on your phone. Put them on reminders. Set your phone. Some of you know how to do that. Set a reminder that every 15 minutes you get a little reminder and it just flashes up on your phone. God is for me. God is for me. When you get up in the morning, God is for me. As you're brushing your teeth, 
God is for me. As you're driving in the car, when it seems everyone else, all those slow drivers are against you and all the traffic, God is for me. God is for me in the midst of the day, at the end of the day, at nighttime, when you wake up in the middle of the night, God is for me. Get that through your head. And it's just not this positive thinking mantra. It is grounded in the word of God. In the midst of difficulties, in marriage, in parenting, relational conflicts, in health, financial challenges, remember, God is for me. Say it again, church. One, two, three, God is yeah, say it on, online as you're watching. Say it right there in your living room or if you're watching and other people around, it doesn't matter. Say it out loud. God is for me. We got to know that. We got to believe that. And yet, sadly, so, so, so often, if we are to honest, we can hear that. We even know it. But for many of God's people, we're not finding this to be true in our lives. But understand this, church. Understand this, loved ones. I like how Sam Elberry said this in what I read this week. He said, the reason God will never stop loving you is because God never started loving you. The reason why God will never stop loving you is because, as that helicopter flies by, I don't want you to miss this truth because it's too important. The reason God will never stop loving you is because God never started loving you. You're like, huh, what are you talking about? Listen. As long as God has been God, he has loved you way down deep in his heart. Remember last week as we were talking about this whole thing, how God, yeah, we have it, have it correctly. As you know, this is Canada, Saskatchewan, of course, and then, of course, Kelowna. And, uh, and, and, and somewhere out here, God in eternity past, he was already thinking of you. Way, way out here. And this little blip, as we kind of roll through history, and this little blip that we're living in right now is not going to change because on the other side of it, out here in eternity future, he's still going to be for us. No matter what. This is how great God's never stopped not loving us because he's always loved us. It's always been there. He's been thinking of you, redeeming you, caring for you, giving Christ to you giving you the opportunity, maybe it's today, to experience his love for the first time. He's been calling, and he's calling you today into a relationship with him. Or maybe you've been straining, you've been running, you're a prodigal, and you need to come back. Surrender your life to him today for the first time, or maybe it's just been a long time, and it's a daily, daily commitment that we make in doing this, that God is so for us. You matter to him forever. And if you know him today, if you receive Christ in your heart, he's always, you've always been on his heart and always will be. Jeremiah 31, 3, you don't believe it? Don't don't believe what I have to say. I mean, it's got to be backed up in scripture. Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. You see that? It's just a continuation. But then, oh, if only we could undo those lies. Those lies in our head. But child of God, believe this, that not only is God forgiving and redeeming our past sins and our mess-ups and our failures, he's taking them. He's taking them and he is bending them and twisting them and reversing the destruction. 
taking the regret, taking the remorse, taking and, and, and creating beauty that would exist no other way. How he can bring beauty from the ashes. Some of the worst ash heaps that you have experienced in your life, a total breakdown, meltdown in relationship, financially, areas of sin, destruction. It's all been ruined. Things that you, I mean, you or others have done, he can take and he can bring beauty from those ashes. We get to see that in, in, in certain areas where fires have just come and ravished God's creation. And we see in time, we see beauty springing up from that. And God promises that in Isaiah 61, 3. I get that he brings beauty from the ashes. Now this, of course, isn't just excusing or justifying our sin, but it's glorifying our Savior. He can take and he can use anything and everything for his glory and, his, and our good. This truth is not just a feel-good statement that we should have on bumper stickers, God is for me, or we should have on t-shirts or on coffee mugs, God is for me. This is rooted in human history. This is rooted in God's great love for us through Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in verse 32. Who he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus came, the son of God, for you and for me. God gave his one and only son. That shows the depths of his sacrifice and his love for us. It shows what God was willing to go through. He gave and he sent his first and his best, his only son, to rescue and redeem. It was a death mission. He knew he was going in. Jesus knew how it was going to end up. God the Father knew what, what would happen, what his son would be experiencing because of our sin. And he sent him anyways, and Jesus went willingly. And if God has gone to that extent for you and me, he's just not going to leave us hanging now. God is for me. I trust that you have that in your heads. God is for us. Child of God, he's for us. He's not even neutral about you. He's not even waiting to see how you kind of manage through this struggle or through this issue, issue that you're facing. And then it's like, well, the jury's still out. We'll kind of decide if I'm really for you. No, he's for you. He's for you no matter what. Surrender your life to him if you never have. And if you've been running and straying, resurrender your life to him. And not only did God give his son for us, look how it continues. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Because he has already given to us so much in Jesus Christ. Now it says, and now he's going to give us all things. Now, what is all things? What is, that? is that a blank check? It's like, okay, God, hit me with some good stuff now. It says in your word, you're going to graciously give me all things. You're going to give me all good things here. What are you talking about? No, God promises not to give us a blank check and with all of our dreams and, and all of our plans to all go just the way that we want because we're so finite. We're not very smart when, when it comes to, to all of these things because some of the things we actually want, we get it. It's going to hurt us. It's going to hinder us in our lives and relationships and our walk with God. But God promises to provide all that we need to live a life of godliness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, verse three write that down. It's not um, in your notes there. Ephesians 1, 3. And then also write down 2 Peter 2, 3. And it says there in 2 Peter 2, 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God is going to give us all things. Does this all things perhaps maybe also refer to the future? Yes to the new heavens and to the new earth. Just think about it one day. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have strong and healthy bodies, a brilliant mind, and everyone will like you. 
That's hard to believe. And everyone, every joke you crack, people are going to find you funny because for the first time in life, for some of you, you are going to be funny. Because, I mean, you're just going to be so brilliant. I mean, it's going to be amazing. And we are going to be romping and playing and forever in a sparkling universe, worshiping in fellowship and in celebration of our great God. That's, that's the all things ultimate that he's giving us. But he's going he's gonna to make sure that we don't go without here on this earth as well. He is for us. Now, some of you say, oh, Melden, that fires me up. That's all so good. But what about those voices? What about those accusations in my head? That's all good. And, and I wish I could believe it, but you, you don't understand. Just get into my brain for a minute. No, I have enough problems with my own brain. I don't want to get into your brain and know what you're going through and what you are thinking. What about those voices? What about those accusations that come day and night? Some of you are hearing them right now. You're hearing voices right now telling you, this isn't for you. That's good for him. That's good for them, but not for you because you're a loser. Because of what you've done, it's not going to No, you stop listening to those lies. And, and, and write this down. This is, God is forever on my side, and that means that he is for me, but second of all, that Jesus defends me. Oh, that's huge. Look what it says in verse 33. Look at your Bibles. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, now, what I just read here is a picture of a great courtroom. And this is where you and I, we are in court. I don't know how many of you, have, we won't ask that. How many of you have been to court? We won't ask that. Uh, but, but you're going to be in court one day. And this is kind of the courtroom scene that, that is being played out even daily in our lives. Where you and I are the defendants. We're on trial. We're the accused. God is the judge. And he has ultimate wisdom and knowledge and love. The devil is the prosecuting attorney. And he's good. He's really good. And he's got a dream team of prosecuting attorneys working under him called demons. And he's bringing many and very serious charges against you, against me. And oh, how he loves to bring out the filing cabinet. You, you know, the little two-drawer one? Oh, for some of you, it's like the four-drawer one with the files just filled with a lot of your past and a lot of the things you've done wrong. And, and, and the older you get, that filing cabinet, eventually it just moves to one of these. He's like, okay, let's go paperless. Let's, let's just slap it all on a hard drive because it's there on the hard drive where we've got a whole list of stuff against you. And he's bringing it. He's bringing it to us in court. And, and here's our day in court, daily on a, on a daily basis. Revelation chapter 12, Satan is called the accuser of the brother, the accuser of Christians, and he's bringing these accusations day in and day out. And he will use many voices, many different witnesses to come up against us. At times, he'll use family members, a spouse, a parent, a coworker, a friend, even stranger, because they see and they know our weaknesses, they know our vulnerabilities, they know our mess-ups and failures. And sometimes we have these people who love to remind us about these things. And they want to bring, bring and kind of rub our nose in it and, 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 and keep reminding us of our past. And sometimes they're not even reminded, just even sometimes seeing people can at times just take us back to some painful experiences that we've had. And people love to point out our faults and our shortcomings. But then there's the people in, in this way, but even the voices in our head, in our own conscience that accuse us. And so here we are in the divine courtroom. God the judge, you and I, the defendants 
against the enemy, Satan, who is the prosecuting eternity, attorney. And when these charges come, what do we yell? What do we say? Guilty, your honor. Yes, guilty. I plead no contest. Yes, I'm guilty. I've done these things. I've said these things. I've thought these things. And yet here's the one thing. Not one of them will stick. Because there is another person in the courtroom. In the divine courtroom, there is someone else there. We're not alone. And it's Jesus Christ, the righteous. Write down 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, because there we see another courtroom experience. And here we see Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our defense eternity. And he has never lost a case. And he will never lose a case. Because he rises up and he says, Your Honor, those wrongs, those sins... That, that, that my friend Meldon here, that my, my brother Meldon has committed here, it's true, he's done this. But, but let the court hear that I paid for his, the penalty that he so deserves. Yes, he's guilty, but I paid the price. He's innocent. He's free. He's set free. And, and in fact, he's been clothed with, with my righteousness, with my cleanness, with my holiness, with my purity. That's how God sees us then. Because he says, I have given it all to him. And so let the court rest. Our defense eternity says, I died for that sin. I died for all, for the filing cabinet, for the hard drive. I died for every one of those. Those are fake. Those are false. Those are trumped up charges against my brother, against my sister. The penalty has been paid. I died for their sins, for their shortcomings, for their failures, for big or small. I died for their shame, their regrets, their guilt, their hidden and their secret sins. I died for it all. Loved one, hear this today. Would this be a prayer in all of our lives when the charges come from Satan? Whether it's in our head, whether it comes from others, our own conscience accuse us. Yes, it's true. We've done that. But this is the mantra. This is the statement we give back to him. Yes, but Jesus died for that. Not only do we continue with the mantra daily that, that God is for us, that God is for me, God is for me, but then when the accusations come, it's, but Jesus died for that. But Jesus died for that. When those old sinful patterns haunt and continue to hound us, yes, but Jesus died for that. When the accusations and the failures come that we've messed up, and rather than trying to defend ourselves and justify ourselves, just say, yes, but Jesus died for that. Yes, we're going to continue to sin. We're going to continue to struggle and we will and we will, will continue that. But we turn to God in repentance when we do, asking him to forgive us. And daily, we pull out Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 that says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way. And if there's a wicked way in me, what do we do? We take out the Christian bar of soap and we need to take this out every day. The Christian bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9. Daily, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. Look at that word just there again. We see, we see God's justice at work in our lives. He is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins. And what will he do? He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we keep those short accounts with him. And that keeps our relationship with him growing and vibrant and living in his peace and in his victory. We make it right with God. In, in, when we've hurt or offended others, we brought others into our mess, we make it right with others. We may owe others apologies and we humble ourselves. We may need to, to make restitution that could even cost us at times, but we make things right and we do it with sincerity and humility. We learn from it and we move on and we, we, we receive God's grace and mercy. See, the devil wants you to feel hopeless. 
He wants you to feel separated from God. And when those accusations come, and they will come, we turn to Jesus. Because look how it ends in verse 34. It says that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession. He's advocating. The lawyer never sleeps. The lawyer is not only thinking and praying for us, but he's also defending us. And he says, yes, but I died for that. Yes, but I died for that. And loved ones, this is why we need to know the word of God. We need to be in the word of God. We need to learn it. We need to memorize it. We so easily forget these truths and we get badgered and so beaten down. But there's power in the word of God. And so we talk back and we fight the attacks of the enemy with what we've been talking about here today, but with words from God's word itself. Things like, I am God's child, 1 John 1, 12. We need to have like these scripture tool belts. We need to have these tools all around us, just like a, a plumber, an electrician, j- just like a cook. Everyone has their tools of the trade. We need to have the tools of God's word at, 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 at quick, handy exposure for us that we're able to get to it at any time. Like 1 John 1.12, I am God's child. I've been justified by faith. Romans 5.1, I am united with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17, I've been adopted as God's child. Ephesians 1.5, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sin. Colossians 1.14, I'm established and anointed and sealed by God. 2 Corinthians 1.21 and 22, I am free from the condemnation of sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I'm assured that all things work together for good. Romans 8.28, I'm confident that he who started the good work in me will complete it. Philippians 1 chapter, chapter 1 verse 6. These things and others, we need to know these truths and be ready to fire them when the accusations come. God is for me. Can you say that today? God is for me. Christ defends me. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God in heaven, we come to you now and I just cannot help but to give you so much praise and thanksgiving that, that these lies that the way the enemy loves to, to come after us can be just shot right down with your truth and the truths we heard today. And I think of the words of the old hymn, my faith, and I pray this, Lord, over each person here today. Would this be a reality in each one of our lives that my faith has found a resting place, not in device or nor creed, that we would trust the everlasting one, his wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves this ends. Today, God, we pray that the fear and the doubt would end. A sinful soul, I come to him, he'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And God, I pray that we would take these truths today and would we apply them to our lives, not just in our head, but daily in, in, in our living. That those that are outside of you today, that do not know you today, have not placed their, their, their hope and their faith and their trust in you, would they run to you today for salvation? Would they talk to myself or to one of our other leaders and not rest today until they are sure that they have salvation in you? May they see today that they are on the losing side and that they are not only living outside your love and grace, but they will spend eternity far away from you outside of heaven forever. May they run to you today, Jesus. And for the child of God today, struggling to believe these truths, empty and discouraged and overwhelmed and defeated, help them to see by your word these rock-solid truths in your infallible word today that you are for us and that Christ defends us. 
And that all of us today, even now, we would worship and we would remember that you have been so faithful in the past, throughout all of history, that you will be faithful in the future. You will be faithful now. Now, God, do this work that you can only do in our lives. Give us that faith to believe, to trust, and to run to you in all things. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this all in your name. Amen.